I would say that friendship patterns vary through our lives. So actually in our early lives, we make friends in different ways. Some of those friends stay friends for life. And with those friends, we go out and we enjoy the geography of the outdoors. Hello there. My name is Kit Rackley. My pronouns are they, them. And this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hello, everybody. This is amazing, right? Because I'm going to introduce Mr. President himself. And that is Alan Parkinson. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, is president of the Geographical Association and uh, a long-term friend of mine. Hello, Alan. It's lovely to see you. Good morning, Kate. Lovely to see you too. So Alan is a geographer through and through and if you know most people listen to this are like I wondered when Alan was going to come on this podcast. <laughs> so a lot of you listeners probably know Alan already, but for those of you who don't, Alan is a geographer through and through, a Yorkshire man who spent more than half his life living in Norfolk and love its coastline and rolling countryside where he currently lives. A teacher and author with a house full of books, and Alan's wife is an art educator and they have two kids, both completing degrees at the University of East Anglia. And Alan has been proud to work with the likes of uh, Dan Raven Ellison. Crikey, how many shouts is he going to get on this thing? <laughs> He's proud to work with Dan Raven David Ellison, Helen Lee, and Tom Morgan Jones to produce Mission Explore. We'll talk about that a bit later. And the award that he has received from the Royal Scottish Geographical Society for supporting uh, fellow colleagues and the support of his fellow colleagues as well. Alan, that's uh, you've achieved so, so much over your career. I don't really want to ask that question, like, what are you most proud of? It's probably like asking you to, I don't know, pick a favorite child or something. But <laughs> uh, I, I suppose it's the, the things that you don't expect to happen, that you don't work towards you just help other people and at some point somebody uh, puts in a, a suggestion that perhaps you're worthy of some sort of additional award uh, i know that uh, for example um, when margaret roberts got her mbe uh, in the new year yeah. honestly you know that was never something that she was you know aiming for it was something that uh, came out of the blue and obviously she has supported so many uh, colleagues, friends of mine who've trained with Margaret, uh, and, and I guess that that sense of an unwanted but uh, very nice uh, reward, I guess, for for years and years, which it has been of, uh, of supporting colleagues going back sort of over twenty years, probably of of thinking, well, what I'm doing in the classroom might be of interest to others, and it might just save them a bit of time. It might also give them some ideas, not that they have to. I think all of my ideas are fantastic. <laughs> There's a little spark there which they can take in another direction. And I, I suppose um, similar to, uh, I was listening to Mark Cavendish this morning mm. about how he'd managed his uh, 34 stage wins. And he said it was because of the team, you know, the team uh, giving him the slipstream to sort of follow along. And we use the phrase standing on the shoulders of giants quite a lot. And of course, with uh, 
my own work. You know, I, I've learned myself from, you know, the Noel Jenkins, the Tony Cassidy's, you know, the SLNers, all the sort of networks that we've worked with, you know, both of us over, over those years, yes. which have, uh, sort of informed our practice and also, you know, those friendships of, of people, virtual and real. And I, I, I would just like to mention the passing of, of Judith Roberts. Uh, of course, yeah. Earlier in the week, uh, uh, oh, well, some months ago now when this goes out, but, uh, you know, a fantastic virtual colleague to many. Yeah, absolutely. Our thoughts go out to Steve and the family in that respect. Um, your sentiments are absolutely spot on, I think, Alan, because um, I just want to, like, tell everybody kind of the way that we met and how it really helped me to become the jog for that I am. And that was the first time I met yourself was when my old boss, my old head of department, uh, Nigel Parfit, who uh, who I worked with, uh, decided that while I was doing my PGC first placement at the school, that he, I should come along to a little uh, dinner with uh, with some Norfolk folk. So Norfolk Geoffrey teachers, and there was yourself there. I can't remember. Where, do you remember where we went? It was it was me, you, Rob Lodge, Nigel. I think it was possibly Barnum Broom. Yeah, and it was just a lovely little. It was, it was about I don't know. It was about. 15, 16 of us, I think. So it was not, not a massive crowd, but, and I was so, so nervous. I was thinking, oh, well, looking around and I'd known your name from textbooks and, you know, Rob Lodge and everything like that. And I was pretty overwhelmed, but I felt so, so quickly felt like part of the family, part of the team. It was absolutely lovely. And, and just like learning through osmosis from people like yourself, like Rob Lodge and, and, and the likes. And, and yeah, you're right. Standing on the shoulders of giants and, and people say to me, you know, uh, when they meet me at, at conferences, they say, "Oh, your your kit! Oh, wow!" It's like I've just done, and like you get that feel. It's like, well, that's very nice, but I kind of like almost feel like it's about just reflected glory that I'm because of everything I've absorbed from everybody else. And I certainly wouldn't be the teacher or the geographer that I am today if it wasn't for for those people. And you're right; we are a community, we are a big, big team, and we could not do what we do without the support of others. And I think that's what this last year and a bit has taught us all: is that actually in you know, the pandemic has been such a, a tragedy and a, and, a, and a hardship for many, many people. I and mean, I don't want to dismiss that in what, any way, shape or form. So you've got to take any silver linings you can from these these periods of, of um, you know, of, of tragedy. And one silver lining is I think it has brought a lot of us closer together because we've been, quote unquote, forced to do things, you know, virtually. And it's we've been able to do a lot more, you know, like chats and and just get togethers and and like the Wonder Room at the Geographical Association virtual conference was brilliant and yeah, I, so I echo those sentiments exactly, Alan. And and uh, you know, our name might be on resources or textbooks or stuff, but we, but there are there is a team of people behind all that. We've got our drinks with us today. It's pretty warm here, so um, well, my I'm on some uh, detox cordial, but uh, you are on you've got a natural brew with you. So uh, what's your brew today? I do so. Uh... I'm on a, it's a Waitrose number one, which uh, is a posh range. <laughs> uh, it was on a special offer, so uh, that's not so bad. And it's a Rwandan, uh, I don't think it's a single estate, but it's drawn from a number of estates in Rwanda. Fair trade, of course, and uh, it's, it's very nice. It's uh, not, not, not too strong. It's only a grade two, so uh, it's going down quite nicely. And I've got some, uh, some orange juice as well. <laughs> that's the problem I've been having finding with the research so when I've been setting up the, the coffee and geography map for, for people to go and research where we source our coffee and teas from is that the vast majority of all these are, are blends or they're you know they're combinations so when you try and find out the source of things it's so so difficult and then so you know I might end up just put, putting a pin in Rwanda and like, but then people can then obviously go and find out what you know the Rwandan um, 
sector in terms of coffee? I did a quick Google to see if I could, because not often waitrose will give you that further information, especially on things like eggs. You know, you can work out from the code on the egg, but I haven't found that yet. But I'm guessing it will be from you know the particular coffee growing regions of Rwanda, which are actually quite extensive, I think, because. We, uh, a former colleague of mine, uh, uh, worked in Rwanda for three years and, uh, he was telling us quite a lot about that country and in particular the, the Rwandan cycling team. We built a unit of work around the Rwandan cycling team who, known as the land of a thousand hills and, and, and it provides perfect training for, for cyclists. And, uh, there's a, there's quite a lot about sport and the use of sports to uh, bring people together after the genocide. And, uh, so yeah, fascinating country. I think that deserves its own movie. You know, you've got yeah. cool runnings from well, you know, there Jamaica. There's actually a movie. There is oh, a- there is. Yes, there is. About the the Rwandan uh, Olympic, uh, the Rwandan cycling team, which which competed, believe in the Olympics. Um, yeah, it, it, there is a movie, and it's yes, it's uh, possibly even more realistic than cool running. Um, interestingly, my. Uh, my my son's geography teacher, um, uh, as it came towards Christmas, um, you know, that was the film that they used to show. Um, but they showed it every single year, so it's like, oh, <laughs> goodness, cool running's coming out again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you've got to love a bit of John Candy. Yeah. Oh, awesome! Right, so I'll look that up and I'll put the uh, I'll put a link in the description with regards to that movie, and then I'll, I'll have a little book up myself because that'd be really, really interesting. And and me, what I'll do when I watch that is not just about the sport, the cycling, the community that. And I'm a complete subscriber to that. In a previous um, episode, I think it was episode six, um, Stephen Swab and I talked about you know how football, for example, can generate community and and the good that it can do. Um, obviously, at time of recording, we're only a few weeks out of um, from the end of the Euros, and uh, we all know about the, the sorry, sorry scenes, you know, that we saw with the behaviour of, of I wouldn't call them England fans, but but then on the flip side of that, you you hear so much about what good you know the England team have done with regards to raising awareness of of racial issues and and uh, pride issues and things like that. So that Rwandan cycling team is going to be something I'm really, really interested to look up because I think, as you say, coming out of the back of a genocide and uh, and what it's done for that country in terms of their sense of identity and their sense of uh, pride in themselves. And that's what sport can do. That leads us quite nicely onto our sense of place then. So, um, as you said, you are a Yorkshire man who has spent more than half your time living in Norfolk. So... You've got this interesting, interesting mix then, where I suppose it's fair to say that Yorkshire and Norfolk are fairly contrasting parts of the United Kingdom. Um, so, Alan Parkinson of 2021. To what extent then is are you are you a Norfolk, you know, a Norfolk lad and a, a Yorkshire lad? So, so how has your identity been formed by these two places or other places you you have uh, been and visited? Yeah, so I've, I've actually. Um I've written about this before. There was a, there's a primary geography conference held at Charney Manor. It's been held there for about 20 years. And for the 20th anniversary, Simon Kapling pulled together a sort of a book, a, a compendium of essays around geography. And I was asked to contribute. And it was my, my chapter was called, You Can Take the Boy Out of Your <laughs> uh, And it said, it really, it was about how your childhood really shapes who you are. So I, I think the fact that I grew up in Yorkshire means I, I will always be 
at the auction rather than uh, although obviously I've, I've lived in as I said for more than 30 years in, in, in Norfolk now I do spend most of my obviously my childhood uh, in in Wickersley actually it's a village it's it's probably the posh end of Rotherham in fact up on the hill above above the smoke and my dad was a steel worker down in the in that sort of Meadowhall and Parkgate and that sort of Templeborough my other side of the family were coal miners and actually my school I went to was six miles from Maltby where there's a, a deep coal mine and a lot of the lads in my form at school when they finished school they went down the pit and, and I my, my granddad said you know you're not going down the pit you, know, you don't want to go down there so um, geography was the subject that I you know, I really was the best at actually at school um, I did other subjects obviously but it's the one that drawn to so growing up in, in the, you know, that, that area, lots of woods, lots of freedom, lots of uh, cycling, actually. Uh, used to cycle a lot around around Yorkshire. And then uh, my parents used to take us into the Peak District. So a lot of the weekends we head into the Peaks. And actually yesterday um, I met up with Richard Alloway, who's over in France. And we had a, a lovely walk around Laskildale and Newgreave and, uh, and the sort of Southern Peaks. And then to get back to Norfolk, I had to go, you know, all sorts of, through all sorts of the places I remember having been as a child. Chatsworth and those sorts of places in the peak, and then up through Chesterfield. So I guess, um, I I mean, I've lost my accent. There's a little bit bit left. But when I meet my brother and sister who are living in York, um, you know, they're very much strong York accent, and parents, uh, you know, strong York accent. So there is that. Accent part of your identity, I think, shifts. And neither of my children, you know, obviously have any sort of um, Yorkshire or, or I think, or in fact, a Norfolk accent because my wife is from Surrey. So um, they, I think, probably have quite a neutral sort of, of accent, but, but they live, you know, the whole of their lives in Norfolk. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think that's that, that those early years, I think, in the same way as your childhood shapes so much about you, it also shapes your identity. And the other thing I miss is, I, I do miss the, the hills, I miss, I miss you know, the, the, the changing gradient. Although, of course, Norfolk isn't flat, as we well know. Uh, yeah, but like in Norfolk, you suddenly realise it's not flat. <laughs> yeah. um, but every morning, of course, in term time, I drive over to Ely, where it definitely is flat, uh, you know, the Fenland landscape. And there's a great Stephen Fry quote, which is, like, any, any idiot can appreciate mountains. But it takes a person of subtlety to appreciate the fens because you know, there, there is so much about the fen landscape. A lot of it, of course, is the sky. Um, and the amazing, this, you know, the, the fact that you can see the cathedral from so far away and uh, dominating the landscape. Whereas in, in Yorkshire, yeah, the, the landscape of my childhood, it's, it's, it's uh, the pitheads and it's the, you know, and taking my dad to work. At, and seeing the blast furnaces and the amazing sort of smoke and, and flames as, as the steel was made, uh, and the you know the Sheffield canyons with the steel work on the other side, and a lot of that has sort of disappeared. And I think a, a lot of cities have also lost some of that identity as well. Sheffield now has got modern buildings you find in lots of other cities. You know that sense of identity has been lost. So. So yeah, when I went, when I moved down to Norfolk in the sort of late 80s, really just looking for my first teaching job, really, that was what brought me down. 
And I'd never been to King's Lynn before, where I then spent 20 years. And I think I'd only been to Norfolk once before for a boating holiday on the Norfolk Broad. But I didn't actually know much about it. But then ended up living in Snetchen on the coast near Hinstanton. More fantastic bird reserves, the sort of high tide spectacles that they have there. And uh, just loved that, that although that coast was great all the way around, Roma and then even down beyond that kind of thing. Not quite a bit of great Yarmouth, it's a bit like that uh, Lion King quote, isn't it? <laughs> What's that place? You know, that, where the shadow lies. You know, actually, no, Great Yarmouth lovely. Great Yarmouth's lovely. Uh, and uh, got a lot of actually, actual money, hasn't it, to um, update this town centre, as has Kings Lynn, of course. Because Kings Lynn, from fishing community, um, brought a lot of the students of the, from those fishing families in the north end of Lynn. And, uh, you know, really interesting school that I brought out over there. And then, uh, luckily, as I said, in Ely. But, um, yeah, I started teaching actually in Derbyshire uh, and on the edge of Sheffield, uh, where, again, you had the hills and you had the, the weeks of snow in the winter and then very much different landscape. Mm. So, yeah, it all, it all feeds in. And I, and I do love travelling that has been afforded by Erasmus, more than Erasmus, which, of course, is a sad casualty of Brexit. But that's allowed me to travel and work with European colleagues. And that's been an extra... Dimension over the last 10 years, uh, you know, working with Carl Donat and he's introduced this whole European community of teachers who are now sort of friends I've worked with for many years um, and still involved with, but sadly, you know, the Zoom meetings rather than a nice uh, glass filled one in Palermo or uh, strolling the streets of Berlin as I, as I missed out on that. Yeah, but the, Nor- the Norfolk coast is is something which I love moving up here from Essex. And and for those of you who don't know this part of the world at all, then um, the Norfolk coast is absolutely sublime in terms of its geography, its culture, um, you know, everything from geographical processes to um, its history as well, you know, with regards to, say, for example, you know, the, the, the tragic flooding of 1953, for example, which really did uh, shape that, literally shaped that coastline. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an amazing part of the world. And when you said about Big Sky, and you're absolutely right, it's a bit of a chuckle because I've got strong links to Montana, as, as you know, and they call that Big Sky. But, of course, you've got, the, you've got vast mountains in, in the west, but then you've got what people may not know about Montana is actually the... The vast majority of it, especially the eastern side of Montana, is very, very open and undulating rather than mountainous, and the skies seem to go on forever. Um, awesome. Yeah, so you mentioned um, Erasmus. You're involved in that? Yeah, so we currently have four Erasmus projects running in the school. Uh, I'm involved in two of those, and then we have one which is involving our uh, modern foreign language department, in an ideal world, it would involve student mobilities to La Réunion and France and other countries, but that's not been possible, obviously, this year. The other one is being coordinated by the head of ICT, and that's a similar project involving lots of Scandinavian countries. But the two I'm involved with, the first is called GI Pedagogy. It's about the pedagogy associated with geographical information systems. And what it's trying to do is come up with a model for best practice for how to teach about and with GIS. Uh, Very often uh, it focuses on the resources and on the content, but not the best way to uh, teach using GIS. And what we're doing is we're looking at Rosenshine's principles 
and adapting those for use with GIS. So we've done a research review. We've published that research review already, and that's on our website. And at the moment, we're now working on trialing some resources and also putting together a teacher training course. We're actually hoping to have a first face-to-face -face meeting in October. Normally, we would have been to a number of European countries by now. Now, the second project that I'm involved with is the D3 project. The D3 project means developing digital data literacy. Those are the three Ds, developing digital data literacy. And that has involved us in, once again, a literature review. Once again, it's about resources. And once again, it's about a teacher training course. This time around, the focus is on the everyday experiences of young people and how they use data, but how they also generate data so that their mobile devices constantly recording their location, for example. And that sort of data can be used and collected and collated to give an idea of movement and idea of patterns. So already, for example, in urban spaces, as soon as you step out of your house, you know, your image is being captured by cameras, your phone is tracking your movements, your purchases are recorded. That's sometimes helpful if we're trying to track down a person who's gone missing. That sort of data, those images are really helpful. But it's also potentially affecting your privacy. And it's whether that can be harnessed in a positive way. So the project of about D3 is looking at the everyday encounters with data, enabling young people to see that whenever they're living their lives as they are now, they need to be mindful that that data is being collected, but also be aware of how it can be helpful for them. So we're presenting some ideas and collecting ideas from that data set, which is being shared locally, nationally, internationally, and then taking that into the classroom. Huh. I was overlooked for Erasmus because, you know, I, I was told actually, it's, like, it's okay, Kit, there'll be another time when we can do it. There'll be another time when we can do it because it's, you know, we always thought it would always be there, would always be a part of this. And it's just to go to show how much things can change you know, rapidly in, in politics and, and geopolitics. And it's just, um, it's such a sad, sad thing. And I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath to see what the Turing um, project will, how that will cater. Now, the government would say that the Turing scheme replaces Erasmus, but it doesn't. It's, it's nowhere near as effective in terms of the payments it offers, in terms of the facilitation of exchange, which is what Erasmus is all about, really. And that's one of the great things that was lost when Erasmus was lost at, at, during Brexit process. Not just for me personally. I mean, I've gained a huge amount from it over the last 10, 12 years involvement in Erasmus. But for young people, uh, along with freedom of movement, uh, Erasmus has taken away a chance to, to meet with other young people in Europe. I think we're living for a very, very interesting, in quotes, period of history at the moment. And yeah, this lack of cultural exchange, it just reinforces the isolationism. It, it reinforces mistrust, misunderstanding, a lack of acceptance of other cultures. Um, because we can only look inward, we can't look outward anymore. So it's, it's a testing time. It's a testing time I think we're in right now. And I think us as educators have got a really, really key part to play here. Maybe, you know, maybe we can't hold back the tide, but what we most certainly can do is make sure that there are enough 
floating life rafts available that we rise with it so we're still around when the tide recedes again. I mean, that's probably the best analogy I can use, really. So for me, it's very difficult to separate teaching geography from politics. You know, geography is politics. When we're talking about issues such as climate change, obviously we are delving into areas which politicians would perhaps like us to stay clear from. Quite often I'm going to be using statements from politicians as starters or to get young people that I'm working with thinking about well, what exactly are they saying here? What do they mean? Why are they saying this? Why have they decided to act in this way? And one of the key areas obviously geography involves itself in is climate change. And I remember back in 2004-05 when an inconvenient truth came out that actually the guidance was that teachers should not just show this film as being something that was happening, that climate change was was you know was real and it was happening, but actually that we had to give that balanced approach. We had to say that there were other people who had an opposing view. And that came out of a court case, actually, somebody who tried to prevent the film being used in schools. And one of the outcomes of that court case was that the, the guidance had to be used and teachers had to present the film in a particular way. Now, obviously, there are other issues which teachers have been prevented from talking about in the past. Uh, homosexuality, of course, for a while. And it's important, I think, that as a teacher, you're obviously mindful of what you're saying. There's a safeguarding as aspect to anything that you might say. And obviously also, there's currently the prevent legislation, which partly is about visitors to the school rather than full-time staff. But clearly there's a an expectation that we remain as neutral as we can be within the classroom and not espouse particular views. As someone who does climate change education, work with climate scientists, someone who's a member of the LGBT community, we do not set out to be political. We set out to be truthful, factful, and live our genuine lives and, and, and portray the truth. It's those who push back or create the debate around these facts, around these truths, which then bring the politics into it. So, so we're then forced to be political because that's the only game we can play. That's the only game that's brought to the table. Um, and it's, and you know, I know so, so many colleagues, climate scientists and whatnot, who do not want to be political, but unfortunately, they don't get anywhere unless they play that game. And it's, it's just, it's a shame. In fact, there was sort of an outcry recently, wasn't there, when the BBC Bite Size and SQA actually had statements which essentially were providing a balanced view, you know, that, that there were some really good things to come out of climate change, when the reality is for most of the world's population, particularly, obviously, the countries that have had the least to do with producing the carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases over the years, that they're going to be terribly affected. That brings with it, of course, the importance of adding a hopeful note, and I've certainly been uh, interested in the work of David Alcock and, and others in the field of hopeful education. You've been, um, you are, as I say, time of this going out, you are GA president of uh, Geographic Association president, so, which is amazing. Well, well deserved, Alan, long time coming in my opinion. Um, but, uh, but you've been doing a project about previous GA presidents. So, uh, uh, was it a blog or something you'd be doing about GA presidents of the past? So, um, but instead of you kind of like telling us a few examples of maybe your, I wouldn't say your favorite GA presidents, but, but kind of the most intriguing, interesting GA presidents. Let's kind of flip this round. So we're going to do jog your memory. 
But instead of it, instead of me giving you a situation where, where we've got to talk about when that took place, you're going to flip this round and say, actually, I'm going to look in the past at these GA presidents and I'm going to tell you some really cool facts and tidbits about some of them. So, but what do you have for us? Okay, so the Geographical Association. Now, the Geographical Association is the subject association for geography educators. We have members from around the world, but a lot of our activity takes place in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland in particular. And what we have as our mission is to further the, the understanding of geography and also to support geography educators to enable them to work with young people to really explore geography in the most positive way and also to develop themselves, to develop their practice by doing that. And we've been in existence since 1893 and actually the first meeting of the association when it was founded took place at Christchurch College in Oxford, when a group of public school masters, as they were mostly at the very beginning of the GA, although we involved female members immediately, that actually they explored how they could share lantern slides. Now, lantern slides were the sort of PowerPoint of the day, the latest technology, imagery on glass slides, which actually are very good quality images uh, and that were used in a classroom setting or a lecture setting by having a light projected through them to display the image really large on the wall and teachers, lecturers would then talk to those images in the same way as we'd have a PowerPoint slide perhaps to guide a lesson now. Now these were expensive to produce and they needed some sort of interpretation with them, some lesson resources. And so very early on what happened was that the GA and its early members began to share those slides to uh, produce them or reproduce them. So they were more than one copy of particular slides and also to sell or, or loan the slides to members. And very quickly, that turned into a, an organisation which attracted members. Uh, they paid a fee. It was run by volunteers at the time rather than the paid staff who now work for the association. Now, as the membership grew, it was decided that there needed to be a president and so the association didn't have a president to begin with. But once the presidency was established, uh, the first president, Douglas Freshfield, he served for 13 years. And during that time, the association was growing dramatically. And it was seen as being something that was really important, that teachers had an association to turn to. Richard Doherty, who's a former GA president, he described it at the time as a lantern slide cooperative. So it was partly this focus on resources to begin with. But eventually, a journal was produced, The Geographical Teacher, the first issue published in 1901. And then from then, after Freshfield, a pattern was established of a president once every year. So there would be a president for a year. And during that year, the president would give a lecture and they would also involve themselves in raising the profile of the association. And so to begin with, many of those early presidents weren't, they weren't always geographers really, they were people who had a public uh, profile, which meant that they could be brought in and then they would share the value of the GA. So we had some interesting people early on, including Hilaire Belloc, the author, uh, Sir Halford McKinder, of course, uh, fairly notorious with some of the uh, incidents that he got involved with uh, he was president just after the, second, uh, the First World War, rather. Uh, we also had, during the Second World War, uh, a couple of presidents who 
were in post for three years uh, to give stability during the war. But other than that, we've seen that annual pattern establish. Eventually, towards the 60s, 70s, 80s, we had a few more female presidents. We also moved away from a pattern of academic geographers and lords, one of whom won the Nobel Prize for Peace, for example, uh, knighted people, MPs, uh, people with, with influence, people high up in society, towards, as I said, teacher educators uh, and, and the occasional teacher too, mostly secondary school teachers, some retired head teachers, some HMI, some early HMI, for example, people who'd worked abroad as well in the colonies, administrators, in the railways, in museums, historians, classicists. So the presidents are an interesting bunch. And I've spent the last two and a half years researching a biography of each of the GA presidents and also sharing stories that have emerged during my research. Now, that can be found on a blog. It's uh, gapresidents.blogspot.com. I'm sure you'll put the link separately on the on the webpage kit. And uh, along with that, what I've tried to do is share the story of the association. So there's around 600 posts on the blog. I've also written about it in the GA magazine. And there's going to be a, an article in the, the Roots Journal in January. There's a special 2022 uh, issue uh, about teacher research, so rather than student research, which it normally is, this one's about teacher research. So I'm obviously really, really proud that I'm going to be the president of the association. It's really significant that a teacher is once again president after quite some time, nearly 20 years since Peter Fox, their last teacher president. And actually, Peter is the only state school president, the only president to be an acting state school teacher. So that would be fantastic if we could, for the next president after me and after Alistair Owens, who comes after me, that perhaps we have somebody from a more diverse group, somebody that hasn't been represented before as the president of the association. And I think it's really important that as we look forward, the association continues to develop its work to support teachers at a time when clearly geography is more important than ever. Lovely that this podcast is in the spirit of what you're what you're trying to achieve. There, it's something that's really close to my heart because I think we can link we can link everybody in this world together through geography in one way, shape, or form. And we're going to come to uh, an end now, uh, Alan. So we're going to do our final thing, and we're going to do we are all geographers. So this is where, as I just mentioned, we connect all of our guests together by uh, using a string of words that guests have to try and link to geography. And last week, uh, I spoke to Sebastian Stirl, who is. Um, who works in the climate science sector and does a lot of fantastic work with renewables out in Africa and sub-Saharan and West Africa in particular. <clears throat> and when I asked him what word he would like to give you to challenge, he came up with quite a nice one, which actually is, is going to link quite nicely with what we've been talking about today, and that's friendship. So he would like you, in 30 seconds, Alan, to talk about the word friendship in a geographical way in what in as much as you like and I'll start the timer as soon as you start okay friendship so the first thing to say friendship is intergenerational so it goes across the demographic profile at the GA we actually developed a project looking at intergenerational walks and conversations that would be had on those walks friendship also 
can occur anywhere. You can have friends in any part of the world now. I consider lots of people social media to be my friends, even if I've never physically met them. And also, I would say that friendship patterns vary through our lives. So actually, in our early lives, we make friends in different ways. Some of those friends stay friends for life. And with those friends, we go out and we enjoy the geography of the outdoors. Fantastic. That was lovely, Alan. So now you've got the chance to uh, do the same for our uh, next guest. So is there a particular word? And it, you know, say it could be abstract, it could be concrete, it could be literal, it could be whatever you want, so that they can um, try and have a go at linking to geography. Yeah, so my presidential theme for the year um, is everyday geography. Mm. And that could be geographies of the everyday. So I'm, looking, I'm thinking about everyday experiences that people have, commuting to work, engaging with social media, those sorts of things, but also things that happen every day. Eating, you know, drinking, buying a newspaper, those sorts of quotidian experiences, really. So I would probably go for every day. Every day. You know, nice. Or, so, so every day is a single word, but it could be every day, every day. But we'll, we'll go for every day. Yeah, no, that's fine. That works fine. All right, fantastic. So, Alan, um, you, you're, you're known quite well to a lot of people, but for those of uh, coming across you for the first time, um, how can um, they connect with you? So, what kind of modes you've got? Your you can also give your living geography blog a web uh, a shout out as well. So, how can people connect with you? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, so probably living living geography is one way of doing that. That's that's livinggeography.blogspot.com. That's been around for nearly 15 years and it has 10,500 posts on it. So the other thing I would say is if it's something you're developing, use the search function. If it's happened in the last 15 years, it's on living geography. Um, some years ago, I submitted an application for an innovative geography teaching award that the RGS run. And I came up with a, a cunning title, which was GeoBlogs. Now, GeoBlogs is the person in the street, but GeoBlogs um, has become my online sort of persona, I guess. So I've, I've, I've had a number of blogs around GeoBlogs, but my Twitter feed is at GeoBlogs, so G-E-O-B-L-O-G-S. And I also have a departmental feed, which is King's Ely Jog, that's my school department feed. I also run quite a few other Twitter feeds as well, but I want to get to those, <laughs> including uh, what I call Twelter Egos, which are fictional people who exist on Twitter that are me. Uh, and so I have a pensioner living on the East Yorkshire coast whose house has been threatened by coast erosion. He's oh. been running that account for 10 years now. Um, he's, been, he's been engaged with by lots of people who, although it says in the profile, this is not a real but yeah. The idea is it's a long-term example of a case study, and I'm, I feed in news about coastal erosion, which affects his life. Um, so, but yes, um, so that's GeoBlogs on Twitter, King Billy Job, and the Living Geography. Nice. Again, there's, there's ten other blogs that I run, but you can link to most of those from Living Geography. And uh, yeah, and please uh, get in touch. You can comment on the blog post. You can. You will have to you will have to request to follow me on Twitter, private account, or across all the platforms except for TikTok. <laughs> we'll try and get you on there at some point. <laughs> but is there is finally Alan? Is there anybody you want to say hi to? Uh, yeah, I guess all the all the geography community. Um, 
we mentioned Mish Next Door earlier, but our Mish Next Door colleagues, uh, yep. who I'm hoping to meet up with Dan at least over the summer. Yeah, Dan, uh, Helen, and Tom, yeah. Yeah, so Helen is now living in, in Portland, Oregon, and Tom's up in, in Edinburgh. So a bit, a bit in different locations, but who, who knows? We might get together again with another one of the books that we, that we did some years ago, for those who don't know. Mm. Worth looking out for them. You can find them on online bookstores, although you might want to spend your money on a shop that's not going to just waste it on blasting into space and doing that <laughs> It was a great, uh, it was a, one of the independent bookshops posted a fantastic tweet this morning, which I, w- I won't say, not just the word, not <laughs> word, but um, it was basically saying, buy some books from us and we won't just, you know, it. Be sending so, it off to space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that's a good point. That's And of course the family, um, Marcel and all that and Sam. And, uh, Yes, the broader community of geographers, which of course is, is everybody. Everybody's a geographer, even if they don't be a Of course. Yeah, and good luck to your uh, your youngins with their, their studies at the UEA, so uh, with everything that's going on. So, right, Alan, thank you so much for, for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure as always, and uh, no doubt we will converse again in a very, very short time. But uh, thank you for sharing your, your wisdom, your thoughts, and your wonderful stories with the rest of the geography community. Thank you. Thanks, Kit. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.